0: Thing that makes the average citizen puke. I look at this system and say, Yeah, you know what's going on. I don't
1: know anything about this man except I've read bad stuff about him, and uh, I, I don't, I don't like, you know, I don't like what I read about
2: him. We are
0: more than just one coin. We create the world around this coin. Come, invention. Come, come.
2: Gone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to part two of our Hearst family extravaganza. My name is Yogi Polywal, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-hosts, Steve Jeffers,
0: Andy Palmer, Sean P. McCarthy, and with us is our guest, Eli Sayers again. Eli, thanks again.
3: Hey, everybody. Thank you.
2: So, as we left off, we were talking about uh, William Hurst and his media empire, his involvement with the uh, Spanish War. And before we get into the entirety of the Hearst uh, legacy, I wanted to quickly go into the Hearst family tree because it's not easy to find. And it took uh, uh, eight different search engines for me to figure it out. But finally, I came across Frisian.com that had the entire Hearst family tree. And so. You found that
4: through Ask Jeeves. I did.
2: I had to go through <laughs> DuckDuckGo and then through Ask Jeeves. And I finally found the family tree. Starting with uh, George Hearst, he went to missouri in 1860 to visit his ill mother and then while he was there he met a 19 year old neighbor and distant cousin phoebe aperson and that became his wife Uh, her parents not thrilled about this marriage but they didn't give a fuck and they went and got eloped because this dude was rich and he was like i want to fuck that teenager And so George Hearst and Phoebe had a handful of kids, including William Randolph Hearst, who would create the media empire we're talking about right now. He would be married to Millicent Veronica Wilson, and they had five kids, all boys, George Randolph Hearst, William Randolph Hearst Jr., John Randolph Hearst, uh, Randolph Apperson Hearst, and David Whitmer Hearst. Uh, William Randolph Hearst would also have a mistress, Marion Davis, as profiled in Citizen Kane and his own life. And allegedly, they had a daughter together, and that became uh, the Lake family that was in Los Angeles. We don't know if that's true, but their daughter revealed on their deathbed that she was also a Hearst. A Hearst family representative said that that, that that was not true, but who fucking knows at this point. And you have the Hearst family... Going through the United States and taking their empire all around the world with being uh, media empires that control everything in this country that is in print media.
0: Yeah, and, you know, William Randolph Hearst, like we mentioned at the end of the, the last episode... By the 1920s, one in every four or one in every five Americans read his papers, but he was smart enough to diversify. So he moved from papers into radio. He moved into films, you know, newsreels shown before uh, films in the 1920s and 30s. So he became, you know, probably the first major media tycoon in America he had. He had his tentacles everywhere. He had his own film studio. He had a lot of power in the media.
4: He also, um, he had, I think, five sons and was uh, smart enough to realize that they were all a bunch of dipshits. And <laughs> as we mentioned in the last episode, created this elaborate trust to make sure that his sons would never be able to control the Hearst Empire.
5: Had to idiot-proof his inheritance yeah. so that people inherited from from him. Wouldn't fuck it up immediately, or at least in one generation.
3: Did the yeah. lady, the lady who got told she was a Hearst on her deathbed, did she have like a bunch of money before that?
2: I don't think she did, because she was. Oh,
3: dude! <laughs> you get told right before you die, you're a fucking Hearst.
2: I mean, like the thing is, is that like the Hearst family's like, "Not, nah, son. We, we, you ain't a part of us at all." And. I mean, you know, William Randolph Hearst fucked Marion Davis. That, that is just true. They never divorced, and according to some sources, people are like, "Well, it's cuz they were Catholic." And other people were like, "No, it's because his wife never wanted to divorce." But I heard I read a thing from a guy that wrote a book on the Hearst family, and he said that he knew that commenting on personal lives of journalists was frowned upon until it went to the court system. So if he were to have gotten a divorce with his wife and then end up marrying Marion Davies, then the other newspapers could be like, fuck fuck William Hearst, this guy got a divorce and has this much money. Not even talking about the fact that he'd have to split up his empire with his then ex-wife if that were to have happened.
4: Which a lot of good that did him, because apparently for the rest of his life, that was just kind of the talk of the town was like uh willie randolph hearst fucking marion davis and putting her in shitty movies that she
2: couldn't act
0: (laughs) uh yeah actually that biographer yogi mentions uh, i think it's david nassau he Mm -hmm. wrote a biography of uh, william randolph hearst Uh, if you're interested in the subject you should certainly read it Uh, i just watched a one-hour interview with him and he talked a bit about william randolph hearst um and you know he's a very fascinating character he's apparently one of the people who who coined the term America first, William Randolph Hearst did, because he had a very isolationist kind of foreign policy. Uh, I guess isolationist towards Europe. He wanted the U.S. to annex Mexico. Yeah, he believed in, you know, American empire in Asia and South America, but he was opposed to World War I. He was opposed to World War II. So he kind of became one of these Charles Lindbergh isolationist types. Uh, and also interesting fact, Donald Trump has said that Citizen Kane is his favorite movie. There's a, an interview of him talking about it you can watch on YouTube.
3: <laughs> well, he has, he has no like, idea that it's, like, supposed to be a tragedy. Right, right. like you, like, like, oh, that's just a great biopic. The man was a truly, <laughs> a truly great <laughs> hero.
0: Like, I mean, I don't know. It just seemed to me, like, Citizen Kane is my favorite movie is one of those answers you give when you just want to look like a smart guy.
2: Sure. Rosebud.
0: Like, who, Who actually sits down and watches it?
3: No, it's good, but yeah, if it's your favorite movie, you're a fucking dork.
0: (laughs) The uh, amount of money that
2: uh, William Randolph Hearst inherited from his dad was around $17 according to uh, this Maclean's archive about the real William Randolph Hearst from uh, 1906. And um, I mean, like, You know, that's a fucking dickload of money. Essentially, when, you know, William Randolph Hearst got kicked out of Harvard, his dad's like, all right. So, like, what do you want to do? You want to fucking go on the ranch? He's like, nah, dad. He's like, you want to be a minor like like me? He's like, nah. He's like, I just want the San Francisco Examiner. And it's like, all right, fuck it. You got a newspaper. Because I think at that time, being a journalist was not at all about the flash that uh, we, he put into it. And early on, he came from the lampoon and then went straight into the examiner. So for William Randolph Hearst, he went from like, I'm just going to fucking write jerk-off things that liberals in at Harvard read to I'm going to shit on my dad's company and people in San Francisco are going to eat this shit up. To be
3: honest, to me, he's a hero for not going from Harvard to the comedy
0: <laughs> <laughs> So William Randolph Hearst has all this media Influence We talked about and I I did just want to highlight with this America first stuff. William Randolph Hearst, according to David Nassau, the biographer, he actually paid both Adolf Hitler and Benito Mussolini to be columnists in his newspaper. It was kind of like the way he explained it is that William Randolph Hearst uh, wanted the American people to know the opinions of European leaders. Mm. So he he paid Winston Churchill. uh, He paid David Lloyd George in England. Uh, to write for his papers to address the American people. He paid some French politicians, but he also paid Hitler and Mussolini to write little columns in Hearst newspapers, being like, here's why I b- believe would be peace, if
3: you, like, If you like, treated them like freelancers, and
4: you're
0: like, yeah, $50. <laughs> <$50."
1: laughs>
4: <laughs> Hitler's like, how the fuck am I supposed to do my taxes now?
0: <laughs>
5: yeah, he totally shafts Adolf.
0: Yeah, he's just imagining Hitler being like, Oh my god, it's been six months and I am still waiting for my hearst check. <laughs> this guy just he is dodging me. I'm still waiting for his head
3: from paste magazine. <laughs> oh I yeah, think he was like Arnold Schwarzenegger impression for Hitler. <laughs> hey That's
4: cool. What is- what if he ran Hitler, but he only ran him in better
5: homes and gardens? <laughs> <laughs> he has him do uh, listicles. It's like ten, like my ten favorite uh, interwar <laughs> he... um, flower arrangements. Also, sex it up a bit. <laughs> no, enough about this like Laban's round
4: stuff.
0: <laughs> the uh, the Hitler article on best uh, things to feed your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure they have a shiny quote coat. Uh, but yeah, also in 1934, Hearst goes to Germany and meets with Adolf Hitler, uh, personally. So he was opposed to U S participation in both of the world wars because he viewed, um, that as being a European affair, whereas he thought America should be imperialist towards, uh, South America and Asia. Um, and it is interesting. we, We mentioned on the previous one where Hearst initially supports FDR, uh, but then he turns against FDR to the point where he bankrupts himself uh, because Hearst papers were read by the working class at the time. It is kind of like the New York Post today or the Murdoch papers or whatever. You know, people going to uh, a construction site or or whatever job, a factory, they read the newspaper and uh, uh, they like this kind of tabloid style. So his readership, the working class, by and large supports FDR, But Hearst goes on a vendetta against FDR and the paper uh, absolutely falls apart in the 1930s because all of his working class readers are like, fuck this guy. We like FDR to the point where in 1937 he goes bankrupt and has to reorganize and sell off a bunch of his papers, sell off a bunch of his art collection. Uh, He's he's really uh, his campaign against FDR uh, heavily backfires against him. And that's actually uh, part of the downfall portrayed in Citizen Kane is is that kind of thing, and there is one other thing that's interesting that you might see on the internet about uh well not one other thing there's many things that are interesting about William Randolph Hearst's life but I did want to address this rumor that uh, is that he he shot a director to death in 1924 and then had the murder covered up yes Tom Ince because Incy. he thought yes he thought uh, so. This is a a rumor that's existed since that time. Tom Ince was like a a film director who died on his yacht in 1924, supposedly of a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And the rumor was that Hearst shot him because he thought he was Charlie Chaplin, because Charlie Chaplin was having an affair with his mistress. So the rumor is (laughs) that he shot this guy to death on his yacht at a party and then was so powerful that he could have it reported as a heart attack and uh, has been covering up the murder to this day.
3: He got away with it because if you kill a filmmaker in 1924, everything was still silent. The gunshot was silent. <laughs>
5: <laughs> he just he uh, he published an article with a stupid drawing of like a Spanish heart attack gun. A what? And that was basically adequate.
4: Imagine being that director, and just the last moments of your life are confusion when William Randolph Hearst shouts out, "Hey, how's this, you little fucking tramp?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> he uh, he knew he didn't shoot Charlie Chaplin when he blasted the guy in the head, and he didn't do a triple somersault backwards. <laughs> yeah, he didn't
3: die very goofy. Yeah, like, oh, my dad was in the real gold rush. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yes, apparently they made a movie about this called Cats Meow. Um, but for the for whatever it's worth, the biographer David Nassau claims he looked into this and couldn't find any evidence for it. But, you know, maybe he's in on the cover up, too.
2: I mean, how hard is it to cover up a fucking murder from a megalomaniac in the 30s is when this happened on a yacht? Come on, bro. Mm-hmm. That man got murdered by Hearst.
4: Yeah, if you're going to kill someone, you kill him on a yacht. That's That's how rich people do it.
2: Needless to say, this is the only murder that supposedly is covered up by Hearst. There are several others that are uh, uh, done by their their corporation in terms of, like, what ended up happening because of the things that they would do in their empire, including shit that happened with Patricia Hearst.
0: Hmm. Right. And so, you know... This is kind of the uh the waning days of Hearst, as we mentioned. He has to go through this bankruptcy reorganiz- reorganization in nineteen thirty-seven. Citizen Kane comes out in nineteen forty one. Uh he does manage to get it, you know, mostly blacklisted. Uh it gets snubbed at the Oscars. It's
3: uh got put in a vault, but you know
0: Right. But actually like his campaign against it kind of backfired because it gave it, you know, this this timeless reputation um, but uh, apparently I guess he was more angry about the portrayal of his mistress than he was about the portrayal of him in the he movie. He said
3: that's what, that's what his public story was, right. but you know he was mad about his, himself too.
0: Because
3: mm. he said that it was because of his, uh, whatever this lady's name was, but I think I think he, I'll bet he cared more about his portrayal, to be
2: honest. Mm. Yeah, I think so. All these
3: motherfuckers got thin skin, man.
2: Yeah, and it's not like, you know, I, I, I read some in some interviews as well that uh, Hurst William Randolph Hearst himself didn't really give a fuck about Citizen Kane, but the women around him at the time were like, "No, you got to make sure this movie doesn't come out because of the portrayal Uh-oh. of Marion Davies really? and others." I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I don't know, man. The thing is, is that there are so many not conspiracies but theories on why he, uh, the Hearst family disliked Citizen Kane so much, and honestly, it's because it portrayed them as they truly are the megalomaniacs that they were to be, which were fucking egotistical. We own the media, so we own what people read. And if that's the case, then if you don't believe what we say, then fuck you. And it's kind of crazy to read about this time because the amount of papers that existed don't really make sense to us. Like for our generation now, we think of newspapers. We think of like, you know, three to eight different papers. But back then, there were a lot more options because of the time.
3: Really? I I thought there Mm -hmm. were less options. Yeah, I I understand why Hearst didn't want uh, Citizen Kane to come out. Like it, made, he's a bad dude, and it showed him as a bad dude.
5: In the, in like the eighteen seventies to nineties, that's like known as one of the mo- like the freest periods of the press in terms of like there's lots of different little newspapers. Uh, they're just like serving a bunch of different constituencies.
2: They call it the free print generation, man.
5: That is until Hearst started consolidating things a bit.
0: Right. So, like, I guess he was in every major city except for Philadelphia because of some sort of agreement he struck there. But, like we said, depending on the figure, by the 1920s, either one in every four or one in every five Americans was reading a Hearst newspaper. And if you weren't reading it, you were telling, you were hearing from your friends and family what they read in a Hearst newspaper. And he was having his reporters hound congressmen and senators to the point where he would ask them about whatever his pet policy was, and then he would print in his newspaper whether or not they supported or were against it, vilify them if they uh, were against it, praise them if they supported it. So he had a lot of power and a huge amount of influence, in addition to all the money. Um, And, you know, so it goes from there. He dies in 1951. He sets up this trust that we mentioned, where as long as any grandchild of William Randolph Hearst's uh, is uh, who was alive as of 1951, as long as they're still alive. The Hearst Communications, as it's now known, is controlled by this board of 13 trustees, five from the Hearst family and eight from uh, Hearst executives. So, and that, you know, still continues to this day. But I guess we can continue the story with, with Patty Hearst and uh, some of the other notable members of the family.
2: Actually, r- real quick, I just want to mention that uh, from this... Uh... Uh, Vanity Fair article on uh, William Randolph Hearst III, the billionaires that uh, exist currently from 85. It mentions that uh, in terms of the trust... Uh, This is a quote from the article. The old man had codified his paternal qualms by requiring that the majority of the Hearst Corporation supervising trustees be unrelated to the family. He sheltered his vast wealth in foundations, making the family, until they bought back equity a decade ago, financially dependent on salaries and expense accounts. The company began a decline which didn't reverse until the mid-70s. The family slipped into a state of innervation. So... Uh, around the 70s they changed some of those those laws
0: right I mean they're like rich people everywhere where they benefited a lot from um, the 70s and then the 80s turned to neoliberalism certainly where just having money is (laughs) much more advantageous than being a worker and you know the, uh, the share of national profits that went to labor peaks in the 70s and it has been declining ever since in the United States
2: but now let's move on to Patty Hearst, although she prefers to be called Patricia. Andy Palmer? Uh,
4: yes, Patricia. She also, for a brief moment, preferred to be called Tanya. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, Patty Hearst, of course, uh, rose to notoriety. She was one of the daughters of uh, of Randy Hearst. I guess that would be Randolph Hearst II. Um, and he was one of the guys kind of in the intermediary level of the Hearst family.
2: Patty Hearst is the daughter of Randolph Aperson Hearst and Catherine Wood Campbell, who is the, so she's the grand, she's the granddaughter of William Randolph Hearst.
4: Yes. And, um, and so uh, Patty was uh, pretty obscure for, uh, at least the beginning of her life because she was kind of just in this mess of hearst kids uh she was uh, more or less at, at this at, during her upbringing it was kind of like the declining shadow of the hearst empire or it, it so it seemed at least at the time mm-hmm. um you know the hearst name was still very popular uh and very well known um and apparently patty had refused to see uh citizen kane she didn't really (laughs) want to know anything about her family she was sent to uh like catholic boarding school and was kicked out and uh was, was more or less kind of this rebel who kind of went along to get along in her family and then she went to college at berkeley uh shortly after moving in with her former math teacher, this guy named Stephen Weed. What? Who, yeah. <laughs> she, uh, she kind of, she, it, it's partially she just wanted to piss off her family. She had this math teacher, uh, named Stephen Weed, who, uh, and also they grew pot plants in their apartment. Sure, why not? Um, and by all accounts, just a condescending, pretentious dick. Uh, but she started sleeping with him when she was 17 and he was 23. And then, uh, yeah, when she went to college, she just moved in with him, and they got engaged and When they got engaged, um the San Francisco examiner actually, Did he actually take
3: his last name. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was gonna say she really pissed off her family in college by abandoning the family tradition of mailing your shit to different professors. <laughs>
4: I I I didn't get to the so what I'm drawing from mostly here is this book uh, American Heiress by Jeffrey Tobin and I didn't get to all of it, but it seems like she got to a point in her life where she may as well have been mailing her shits to Stephen. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, they <laughs> she kind of got the perfect excuse to break it off from him. Um, but when when they uh when they got engaged, it, it was uh, in the engagement announcement. It mentioned that she was uh, attending Berkeley, and apparently at the time, if someone was attending Berkeley, um, uh, you could just walk into their administrative office and find their home address. So that's where uh, the her story intersects with this uh, ragtag group of misfits called the Sibianese Liberation Army, <laughs> which uh, at any given time was somewhere between three and about seventeen people. Hmm. Um, it was, uh, started by this guy, Donald DeFreeze, and, uh, I was, I was talking with Yogi the other day, and Yogi, you had read conspiracy theories that they were CIA-
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, during researching the Hearst family, I just kept typing in each member and conspiracy afterwards, and the one that came up with uh, Patty Hearst the most was that SLA was a CIA psyop, and now hearing that Steve Weed was involved, it can only make me feel more comfortable in saying that it seems like the Hearst family found out that their hippie daughter was a hippie daughter and was like, fuck this noise, hey CIA, can you figure this shit out? And they went, I mean... We got a couple of guys that say that they're a gang, a terrorist. Maybe they can do something.
4: <laughs> I Yeah, like <laughs> I couldn't find anything to confirm that they were CIA. But if I were to create an organization to completely discredit the leftist movement in the United States, it would be the Sibyanese Liberation Army. Mm-hmm. By the time that they kidnapped uh, Patty Hearst, they were all fugitives for the assassination of the Oakland superintendent for public schools
0: <laughs> <Like> an <laughs> imperialist pig that'll teach you for Vietnam yeah, yeah you
3: they, thought it's fascist <laughs> they literally It'll targeted him
4: a... because he was considering implementing school IDs and they thought that that was a fascist move by the superintendent
3: and uh, they
4: they're immediately all,
0: they're all corporate democrats now
3: <laughs> Wait till they find out about library cards.
0: <laughs>
3: Librarians got to go.
0: Damn, you remember the people insane people on the left were so much cooler. Now they would just all identify as pansexuals or something. They used to assassinate school superintendents. <laughs>
4: after they after they killed that guy, the Black Panthers denounced them and the Weather <laughs> Underground wanted nothing to do with them. <laughs> By the way, the um the name sibianese um, I'm sorry, not Sibionese, Symbionese yeah. Liberation Army is it? It's named after the symbiosis of souls oh. getting together, and mm. it's yeah. It, they try to make it sound like a like it's a country or something, but it has nothing to do with Picture, that, dude.
3: I was being respectful because I pictured like a bunch of foreigners. I was like, okay, I want to be nice, you know, like, <laughs> but they're just a bunch of fucking white kids.
4: Uh, there was one black guy at the top, and he said that they their movement was. Uh, he was a great African American leader, and then everyone else was uh, not black. I think I think they're all white. I haven't looked at pictures, but yeah, it was mostly white kids.
3: I heard Simeonese. I was like, oh, what country is that? But they're <laughs> dignified and cultured and geniuses. Yeah. Now they're just well, well, of them. rich dildos. Right.
4: Yeah, no, it was uh, some of them were like, yeah, middle class dildos. One of them was like a a traumatized Vietnam vet. Um, So they decided two of them got arrested for uh, killing this guy, Um, even though the ones who were arrested, like they didn't pull the trigger. And so they decided that in order to bail them out of jail, uh, what they were going to do is they were going to kidnap a high profile uh, person and then make their ransom demand that they release uh, the two members who were imprisoned for the for the murder, and then they said that their backup plan was uh, to demand a boat, boat to Cuba.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> <laughs> their backup plan was a boat to Cuba, which I think they probably like. After all this played out, they probably would have had better luck just driving to Florida and stealing a boat. Um, yeah, weren't but, they in California? Yeah, they were in California. At first, they tried to um, abandon their their old uh, hideout by burning it down, and they here's how competent they were. They failed at burning down their old hideout. (laughs) They filled it with gas and gunpowder and set it on fire, but they didn't open any windows, so the fire just snuffed itself out. before and so all of the evidence was uh in the house and here's how bad the police fucked it up they had the lists of people they wanted to kidnap and that included patty hearst and the police never notified her or her family uh when they got through it
2: dude cia Um, this is cia sloppiness all (laughs) over it
4: so so the army uh went to hearst's apartment just uh on some random night and uh they said that oh we hit your car outside can we come in and use your phone and then they just kicked the door in and uh they beat around Stephen weed with a lead pipe and he basically just ran away (laughs) he ran out the door um and they uh,
0: they took a break between laughing at his last name to wail on him with a lead pipe
4: (laughs) (laughs) they uh They barely got Patty Hearst into a trunk. Um, She almost ran away a couple (laughs) times.
2: Nah, she looked hot during this period. If you see those SLA Patty Hearst photos, chicks a babe.
0: Sorry, we didn't mention it earlier, but a lot of people blame William Randolph Hearst for marijuana prohibition. The Hearst papers would run all these stories about people on drugs doing um, uh, violent crimes. You know, people on marijuana, people on cocaine, and then the Congress passes this. Uh, law that uh, schedules and outlaws all these different drugs, cocaine, heroin, marijuana. And some people say it was because Hearst had investments that uh, he didn't want competing uh, against industrial hemp. Right. Um, you know, and uh, again, the the biographer that I listened to the interview of, he says this, uh, he couldn't find any, any solid evidence for this. But um, I did just want to highlight that, that uh, possibly Patty Hurst was uh, rebelling against her grandfather's <laughs> marijuana prohibition by dating a man named Weed.
3: And growing her own pot. She, she wanted to make her dad mad, but she w- wasn't willing to go. She was too racist to fuck a black guy. <laughs> so she just
4: found
0: someone
3: with uh, the last name Weed. Like, this is bad
2: enough. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yeah. So uh, apparently while she was in captivity by the uh, uh, Symbionese Liberation Army, Her fiancé said on the radio, Oh, she's pretty, you know, the prettiest of any of the Hearst daughters, but then none of them are raving beauties. She's a bright girl, too. Not brilliant, of course, but reasonably bright. She's a simple girl. The simple things please her. She rarely got angry, and then it would be all over in a few minutes. She has a very good character, too. He said that while she was, um... While she was imprisoned, but allowed to watch all the media coverage
0: of her. Is
3: that Billy
0: 420? Who was
4: that? Yeah, that was Billy. That was Stephen Weed. Wow. Stephen Weed's bringing some
0: serious dudes rock energy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess my uh, kidnapped fiance who's in mortal danger, I guess she's Okay. I mean, she's like not good-looking or smart, but she's all right. She's standing right next to him.
3: He, he actually turned out to be the grandfather uh, of Tucker Max. <laughs> <laughs>
4: he was also staying with the Hearst family during um, the time that she was kidnapped and then would go to the media and talk about what rich assholes they were. Uh, nice.
2: That's some pimp ship right there.
4: So uh, immediately after she was kidnapped, the Hearst family uh, decided that they were going to pull out the big guns and they turned to psychics to try to find her. <laughs> psychics. They went tarot psychics.
2: cards instead of fucking credit cards.
4: <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first one they went to was a self-declared, was the self-declared world's foremost psychic, Peter Huk- Herkos. And uh, they brought one of Patty <laughs> Hurst's shirts to him. And he said that the spirits told him that Patty Hearst was being held near a large body of water, probably in a beach community. And she was abducted in San Francisco, you know, right. on the coast. Right. So <laughs> that was that was a lot of help. Um, then they got uh, a second source who was this psychic named Helen Tolley. And this, this the FBI actually embraced her as a source and tried to, like, use her to help them right. solve the kidnapping because they, they had no fucking idea what they were doing. Uh, so Helen Tully asked for uh, Weed's bloody shirt, this Stephen Weed's bloody shirt from the night of the kidnapping. And then she was placed in a trance by her psychiatrist. And she said that she saw the kidnappers driving north in a great hurry. And in reality, after they kidnapped her, so they drove south. And uh, then she said that she could make out the license plate numbers because in her trance she had infrared glasses that allowed her to see in the dark. And she gave out a series of letters and numbers that were supposedly the license plate of the car. Um... They got a third psychic who actually lived in the Hearst house so he could feel Patty's vibrations in the house. And that guy was eventually just kicked out. Oh, that
2: guy's a king. Uh, I love this guy the most. if yeah. you, you want me to find your kidnapped daughter? I need to live in her house for a little bit if that's cool with you. <laughs> I heard you guys got a castle that y'all live in in San uh, Simeon. If I could just hang out there.
3: I'm feeling this energy in this hot tub. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: yeah. avoid. I'm channeling her spirit through this Picasso painting. <laughs> I need I need the Picasso. And uh, could I get some works uh, by Goya? I think she's inhabiting Goya right now.
5: This is a sitcom like
4: premise. <laughs> and then uh, there was a fourth psychic that wasn't brought in by the family, but the FBI. Who basically got the FBI to pay him to drive him around San Francisco to look for the quote blue Pontiac that Patty Hearst was <laughs> arrested in? So the FBI hired a psychic. Yeah, yeah. They they went with two of these psychics. Yeah.
5: Wait, what? Uh, what year? What year is this
4: again? <laughs> uh, this was nineteen, I think nineteen seventy four, ni- maybe nineteen seventy three.
5: Yeah. Okay, because um, they, I mean, that the FBI and the CIA were into like weird, like, um, occult shit and like. You know, they wanted to see if you could read minds mm-hmm. and stuff. Well, yeah, a right? while. Oh yeah, they were. Oh yeah, with MK Ultra. Yeah, it's bullshit, but it's also understandable that they might think that this this psychic was like for real.
2: Especially in San Francisco during the sixties and seventies, you know, LSD being hot on the market, the uh, government's use of that was like it could be a truth telling drug, and so for the fbi to be like we're gonna get a psychic and i like that the last psychic just was going to do detective work okay let's drive around until we find this pontiac
3: yeah the lsd thing that well fucking johnny weed has a cousin named robert
4: (laughs) (laughs) they were also i mean at the time the fbi was also completely useless at solving crimes because they were devoting all of their resources to killing black leaders and so like And that's also – that tells you how low on the priority like, – or how, how low on the um, totem pole the uh, Symbionese Liberation Army was, right. that they had no idea who these guys were and they were already yeah. like fugitives for killing
0: that superintendent. Uh, uh, well, the superintendent. FBI had
3: a, lot of, they had a lot going on. They had to write all those warnings for VHS tapes coming up. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're gonna have our crack specialists on this case as soon as they're done murdering Fred Hampton. <laughs> they, they just wrapped up the MLK hit. They're gonna take care of this, no problem. We just need a week or two. Uh
3: they wanted to kill John Lennon or some shit, right? I don't know about that. Uh, yeah. When the the government didn't the government hate John Lennon? Oh, probably. Like I mean, that's what I I've heard. There are some people I think who think that the uh the big uh you know, when you got pranked like shot he, like that, that was like oh that's
2: right that fbi yeah yeah, 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 yeah the the that, uh, the guy that killed him and blamed uh was a fucking a catcher in the rye that that guy was just a fucking fbi or cia agent as well i don't know i mean the fact that he blamed catcher in the rye has always been suspect to me but i didn't make the connection but sure i mean a guy that's promising uh peace Uh, To human, he thought John
3: Lennon was a great big phony.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I think the policy of this podcast should be: we should assume all assassinations are carried out by the CIA until proven otherwise. Like you should have to show us compelling evidence that the CIA did not kill John Lennon.
3: Well, they didn't. They like they thought his music was. Wasn't there a period where the CIA, whatever. They, uh, they fucking were listening to like music and shit. Like, oh, there's secret, like anti-American shit in here.
2: I didn't know that. Oh,
3: probably. You
5: could that be right. Sounds MKUltra-y. It, it, like,
4: really, that, could, it really could be something I just assumed. I think, I think John Lennon was killed more by Gal Gadot than she was by John Hinckley Jr. <laughs> and uh,
0: But that was like a Charles Manson thing. He thought the Beatles were going to set off the race war. And he was probably right. an MK Ultra experiment guy. Charles Manson. Oh yeah,
4: Charles Manson had um well that book Chaos actually has a does a good job in connecting uh, Manson to some of the MK Ultra um shit. That's a whole other rabbit hole. Um so the the Symbionese Liberation Army, they immediately realized that they could not get their uh fellow members out of prison. And so they just started directing their demands at Randy Hearst. And initially, they called for uh, 400 million in food distribution uh, from Randy Hurst, and he realized that he uh, or they—they they found out very quickly about this uh, trust situation, where right. Randy Hurst didn't actually have access to much spending money um, because of his 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 famous father, and so he had to scrounge around. And he managed to get uh two hundred million um Jeez. to create uh people in need foundation which I mean as much as we're making fun of the um symbian Liberation Army uh the their direct action did actually lead to thousands of people getting free meals
0: uh, <laughs> 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 this so great. Killing yeah. the fucking superintendent—it's all part of the 12D chess, baby. <laughs> you gotta trust the plan. Trust the Symbia's liberation army.
3: Uh, yeah. you're giving them free lunch. Sounds like you're trying to tell them what to do, you dictator. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That was
4: the—that was actually the response of Republicans to this. Um, so Randy Hurst—he he set up the People in Need program, which was—which uh, w- was set up to provide free meals uh, to people throughout the state of California. Uh, which was the demand of the uh, Symbian Liberation Army.
2: Can we please have someone kidnap Ivanka to do the same program in the United States today, especially right now? Just fucking (laughs) kidnap Ivanka and then tell Trump, hey, if you don't fucking pay people their goddamn coronavirus checks, give us Medicare for all, then (laughs) we're going to uh, imprison Ivanka forever.
4: It would work. And this is a uh, comedy program, and that is a parody statement, even if (laughs) it's a great idea.
0: (laughs) Let's, uh, let's check the IP addresses on the uh, Patreon to see if any of them link up with the Secret Service offices in D.C.
4: <laughs> so, immediately after this foundation was uh, set up, uh, both Jim Jones and the Nation of Islam walked into the offices asking if they could be the ones to distribute food. Oh. Uh- <laughs> wow. <laughs> and... Um, they actually, because it was such like a uh, seat of their pants operation, they hired this woman by the name of Sarah Jane Moore, who later attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford,
2: like for fun, or was she was instructed to?
4: Uh, i I think it was just for funsies, but she was stopped, uh, you know, because he kept going. Sure. <laughs> uh, so they they made a bunch of food boxes and stamped them with the SLA logo, which was a seven headed cobra. Uh, the seven heads were for the uh, seven tenants of Kwanzaa. That's true. And um, the they did their first distribution, which was in four locations, and it went very smoothly in three of those locations, but the fourth one erupted into a riot. Oh, really? Uh, where a bunch of people got the shit beaten out of them. One lady lost an eye and ended up suing uh, both the Hearst family and the city of Oakland for a million dollars. Wow. Um, she get- and then later ones ended up going smoothly but in response to this uh, a bunch of republicans thought that uh, Randy randy was being weak by submitting to the terrorist demands mm-hmm. of the um uh, symbian liberation army and at a private luncheon in dc f- for influential republicans reagan quipped it's just too bad we can't have an epidemic of botulism
1: <laughs> jesus
4: yeah
3: i love when you call him randy hurst that kind of yeah. like takes his power mm-hmm. away yeah, it, right? like Randolph Hearst sounds like you own a bunch of, like, newspaper con Randy Hurst sounds like you own, like, a chain of roller skating rinks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Randy Hearst certainly owns a bowling rink in this country right now. <laughs> and,
3: yeah, the fourth... Uh, the fourth one went haywire and all those people that that's why he wasn't good at comedy dude that, that's the rule of threes man come on <laughs> the third one the third one goes haywire and the woman loses the that's eye right. Look, like, right. i think i think that the woman lost an eye is hilarious but you don't do it in the fourth one you
4: fucking amateur right. poor
2: timing
3: <laughs> fucking roll of fours ass bitch
4: <laughs> so um at this time uh patty underwent a transformation um after she was kidnapped, they stuck her in a closet uh, with a blindfold because she did not they didn't want her to see their faces. Um, and she kind of assumed that they were going to kill her, and so she basically starved herself for a while. Um, and slowly, uh, she kind of got to know her captors. They, they were mostly just talking at her, and while they kept her in captivity, they gave her this book by uh, um, a prison rights activist by the name of George Jackson called Blood in My Eye. And, um, because it was like her only thing to read, she read it and she, there, there was kind of this communication between, um, the SLA and the Hearst family. Like they would do these, uh, big kind of, um, press conferences outside their house. And then the SLA would mail in a tape with, um, their responses and new demands, things like that. And they would have Patty Hearst also record messages And over the course of a couple months, she became more and more radicalized by them. Um, uh, Well, at first, she uh, told her mom to stop wearing black at the press conferences because uh, she was like, stop mourning me. I'm not dead. (laughs) Apparently, she hated her mother. Um, And then uh, not long after that, she actually said in one of the thing in one of her uh, recordings, I've been reading a book by George Jackson called Blood in My Eye. I'm starting to understand what he means when he talks about fascism in America.
0: Uh, it's when a guy gives you a D on your math paper.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Another thing about Stephen Weed is he was so obsessed with uh, proving that he wasn't intimidated by the hearse that while he was fucking Patty, he flunked her sister in
2: math. Oh, wow. Do you know which sister she had She had uh, for?
4: Uh, I think it was like Vicky or Veronica.
2: Okay, yeah. She, uh, incidentally... Uh, Pat, Patricia Hurst is the middle child and uh, we'll touch on this more later but her daughter Lydia Hershaw uh, eventually marries a famous podcaster.
4: Yeah, she has a her daughter has a pretty awesome sauce It's me. Sauce life I'm the right podcaster. Now. Yeah. Lock the gates.
2: <laughs> <laughs> killing it Yeah, or, a giant the first, like the citizen first can part. hurt
3: like those gates in the fucking <laughs>
4: <laughs> during this time she was also uh raped by one possibly two members of the sla um the way the story goes is that everyone in the sla was fucking everyone else and uh at one point they brought her into one of their little house meetings and was like hey uh uh Willie over here well he was called cujo which is even scarier they're like cujo wants to fuck you and she was so starved and weak that and she was afraid that they would kill her if she said no that she was like uh okay and then um yeah that happened and uh Uh, yeah
0: um still less sex crimes than the dsa though
4: (laughs) and so uh after about two months in captivity she's Kind of decided to just go along to get along with the SLA, and uh, she took everyone there had a code name, so she took the name Tanya, uh, which was named after Che Guevara's uh, German Argentine Conrad Haiti Tamara Bunka Biter, huh. which is really full circle for the Spanish American War uh, <laughs> that set into um, set into motion the events that led to the Cuban Revolution and uh, brought Che Guevara to prominence, and so then uh now patty hurst is taking the name tanya after one of the figures of that uh she started helping the sla make bombs which they they it's it seems pretty clear that they were a bunch of dipshits so it was probably just a bunch of molotovs um and then in, uh, she iconically took part in a bank robbery on april 15th 1974 uh where she was photographed by the security cameras yelling commands to people to get on the floor uh while they were robbing the bank and there were even two bystanders who wandered into the bank and got shot and wounded uh during the robbery wow uh, did you talk yelling? It? uh it doesn't i couldn't find any confirmation uh, but she she did fire a gun later uh there, she was going to a sporting goods store with a couple of other SLA members, and one of them was just trying to um, uh, pocket some shit at the store. And a security guard caught him, and so the member like showed his gun, and the security guard immediately handcuffed his hands. And so, to distract him, Patty Hearst started shooting at the sign uh, oh. with her M1 carbine, and that helped her friends get away. And then, <laughs> apparently, the, um, the guy, the security guard, uh, tried to shoot at her since she returned she got in a shootout with the manager of a sporting goods store um yeah and then she helped them hijack a car uh abducted the owners of the car so now she's not only like uh a captive but now she's abducting people it's kind of a johnny gosh mm. thing um
0: yeah but When she was uh, issuing commands to the bank employees, did they obey them just because they thought she owned the place? (laughs) (laughs) Like,
3: ma'am, our manager will be here in a second. Yeah. (laughs) What the manager thinks. She
0: used her her superpowers.
4: (laughs) (laughs) And then during that hijacking, um, the cops actually found the SLA headquarters and had a shootout with them and killed six members, basically the core of the Sibianese Liberation Army, they all got shot to, to oh, death. No.
3: Not Cujo.
4: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Cujo was killed. Um, Cujo's down.
2: Yeah. Down, down Cujo, down.
4: They put, and, down uh,
3: they put Cujo down. They took him out back.
4: <laughs> round winning kill. Yeah, here's the thing. Stephen King doesn't remember any of that. He was so blasted on Quaaludes and I heard um, that. And then later, this happened in uh, May. Uh, she was she became a fugitive uh, and was arrested in San Francisco on September 18, 1975. And when she was arrested, she listed her occupation as urban guerrilla. <laughs> and, uh, and so she was sentenced actually to seven years in prison. Um, her sentence was commuted by Jimmy Carter. And then... Uh, Bill Clinton actually pardoned her for good. 2001. Uh, and that's when, uh, the, the, her, her plea was basically, this is when the kind of Stockholm syndrome thing came out and there's truth to it. Like she was kidnapped. She was really going along to get along, you know, to, um, she was afraid for her life for a lot of it. Um, there was no concerted effort to actually brainwash her. Uh, it was concluded because she was like the people who kidnapped her were pretty much too dumb to brainwash her. Like they just kind of talked at her and gave her all the the books that they had sitting around to read. And, um, you know, she, She, she's not
5: trying, not trying to get raped again.
4: Yeah. Not trying to get raped again. And
0: yeah, but, and in fairness to Patty Hearst, she's not the first or the last left-wing heiress to identify as an urban gorilla. <laughs>
4: <laughs> and so she kind of, like, rebuilt her life after that and uh, kicked kicked Stevie Weed to the curb.
3: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And changed her last name to Harding, and we all <laughs> know the rest.
2: And from that Frisian uh, website, it says that uh, Stephen Wood uh faded into history it says in this thing that he was a phil- philosophy student but I, andy says it's a math teacher oh.
0: no he was her, a math her new teacher. husband
4: and then her new uh, husband
0: bobby psilocybin
4: <laughs> he he was a uh, uh when she moved in with him he went back to grad school to get his phd in philosophy
0: sure well
2: after that incident math doesn't serve you nearly as much as philosophy does <laughs> what does this all mean man
4: apparently when they were living together and she started college she was like yeah you know i was thinking of becoming a veterinarian and he's like no you're not you're not you can't handle the math and <laughs> please please tell me
5: please tell me he fell in with like nick land and like the the accelerationist people
4: maybe i mean just everything the guy says he's just a huge dick
2: moving on from uh, Patty Hearst and her time with the SLA. Let's now talk about the Hearst Media Empire from this era to now and exactly what they do and how they do it. Stephen?
5: So the company is called Hearst Communications nowadays and or it's often just referred to as Hearst in like financial times when I was looking through mm-hmm. um, the core business is still um, mass media and it's completely private they have stick like ever, you know, ever since their yellow media, yellow journalism days, uh, they've basically stuck with like a core print, uh, media and tell now television. Um, they have some like business media, Apple applications companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a 50, they have a 50% stake with, Ver uh, they have a stake in Verizon uh, that they actually made into a spinoff company called Verizon Hearst Media Partners. Uh, so yeah, media is like the core of their business. They have revenue. Revenue from 2016 was $10.8 billion. Wow. Um, it's grown into just a an international
2: behemoth. And... So this is in combination with their ESPN and their uh, other holdings that they share with Disney? Yes. One thing that I found that we didn't mention previously was that uh, Cosmopolitan, the uh, movie a uh, production company that William Randolph Hearst ran uh, eventually would partner with MGM and MGM would absorb Cosmopolitan and the one of the reasons they did that was because the media exposure Cosmopolitan the movie production company had was benefiting MGM so much so they were ha- splitting costs for their uh, studio the directors and actors and so on and so forth but MGM made bank in the fact that the entire media empire that Hearst had was saying hey go check out mgm shit
5: hmm. yeah so in in as far as e- it's espn stake uh in on november 8th 1990 hearst corporation acquired the remaining uh 20 stake of espn inc from rjr nabisco for a price of about 165 million dollars the other 80% had been owned by Walt Disney Company since
2: 1996.
5: Hmm. Um like over the last over the last 25 years or so, um their ESPN investment is said to have accounted for at least 50% of total Hearst Corp profits and is worth about 13 billion. Wow. Um the company, the overall Hearst Communications company has Revenue in like the low 10 billions, and they have about 20,000 employees. And uh, just to quickly list off their divisions so they have Hearst Television, Hearst Magazines, Hearst Ventures, Hearst Business Media, Hearst Entertainment and Syndication, the core Hearst Newspapers business, and then uh, a partnership with Verizon. And they've also recently acquired uh, some non like mass media holdings like they acquired Fitch Ratings hmm. um well they started to acquire a stake in uh Fitch Ratings the uh the the securities ratings company um in 2006 and then just in uh 2018 they took complete control of it so they're the the whole owner of Hitch owning Fitch Ratings right now.
0: Hmm. Yeah and Fitch Ratings is a pretty fascinating company, though I did just want to say, you know, I mean, more more Americans should be aware of that. You know, this William Randolph Hearst, this Citizen Kane guy, you're financially supporting his descendants when you turn on ESPN. I mean, like just sports are just major parts A&E, another example, major parts of the U.S. economy are just based around Putting a check in these people's pockets because they accumulated capital from slavery and killing minors and yellow journalism.
3: Mm Hearst, he he just like he won. Oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like he just fucking won. And kids, like we're still paying his fucking kids. Like there's no justice. There is zero fucking justice.
0: Fitch Ratings Agency. Uh, I'll just spend five minutes. Uh, you know, I'd love to follow up on this on a future episode because the, the, the ratings agencies are very fascinating to me in terms of both the 2008 financial crisis and what we're going into now with coronavirus. Uh, because in the United States, you have what are called the big three ratings agencies. These are Fitch, s SMP, and Moody's. And so what you had with the 2008 financial crisis is these big three ratings agencies were giving all of these mortgage-backed securities, which, you know, if you've seen the big short or whatever, you know, they're all just full of fraud and garbage and worthless products. The big three ratings agencies were giving all of these AAA ratings, which, according to the Wall Street Journal, a security should be rated AAA if it can survive the Great Depression. (laughs) Uh, And so, you know... um, uh, uh, according to the wall street journal SP uh paid a 1.5 billion dollar settlement with the feds over this um moody's settled for 864 million uh fitch actually only settled with like some local jurisdictions like apparently they settled with king county washington had been investing in uh, uh products that were certified by by fitch and they had to settle out of out of court over that hmm. but what's fascinating about just kind of the private model of ratings agencies and how this all works out is um the uh the senate report on the 2008 financial crisis and the book uh, all the devils are here uh talks about how the ratings agencies kind of compete with each other in order to get the uh the best rating for their products so you know this is What happens is that a bank will put together a security, which will have a bunch of loans in it, whether these are mortgages or um, corporate debt or whatever else. And then they'll go to each ratings agency and they'll say, hey, what can you give this? Can you give this a triple A rating? Can you give this a triple B rating? And so what you have, um, uh, according to like a bunch of people have talked about this or just quoting one email sent in the lead up to the 2008 financial crisis, a banker... uh, an investment banker who was shopping this product, emailed a guy at S&P ratings and said, quote, "Um, Heard your ratings could be five notches back of Moody's equivalent. Going to kill your residential biz. May force us to do Moody Fitch only. And what he's saying there is he's emailing this S&P guy and saying, If you don't increase your rating on this mortgage-backed security we're putting together, we're going to go to Moody's and Fitch instead. And these things are all paid on commission. So you get this like weird arms race between the three of them, the big ratings agencies, where they only make money if they grade these Wall Street securities, and these Wall Street securities uh, can, are more profitable if they're higher rated. So they're all competing with each other to pretend this shit is all AAA when it's just pure garbage. Right. And, right. and so this causes the 2008 financial crisis. It supposedly gets fixed, but it doesn't get fixed at all. And it's actually a big factor in the current crisis, where you have um, the Wall Street Journal article I was quoting from is written in 2019, August. It's called Inflated Bond Ratings Help Spur the Financial Crisis. They're back. And they look at how what happened is their solution, uh, the U.S. government's solution, was to try to promote three other competitor rating agencies to the big three, but the thing is, these three other competitor ratings agencies, in order to get market share, started uh, lowering their standards to increase ratings. So, in order to get market share back, the big three also started lowering their standards. So, you know, they talk about the um, commercial mortgage-backed securities and how um, Fitch uh, saw uh, Fitch ratings saw their. Uh, growth in market share of co- the commercial mortgage-backed securities market, which is about $1.2 trillion. they saw a major growth in their market share in 2016 after giving itself wider latitude to use easier ratings assumptions. Uh, the firm was hired by every multi-borrower CMBS deal in the second half of 2016, up from 80% market share during the second half of 2015. So, what happened with Fitch? Is that they again relax their standards to give higher ratings to these uh, uh mortgage or sorry, these uh commercial uh mortgage uh, products and they get a bigger and bigger market share. And so, you know, I'm sorry to be long winded on all this, but it is fascinating to me that what we have now with the Federal Reserve buying up junk bonds and everything else, you know, spending 4.5 trillion. They're going to have all what they call safe products that they can take as collateral as loans or that the Fed can just directly buy. They're going to have to say these things have to be triple A or triple B rated or whatever. Well, who's rating them? It's the big three firms. They're all getting paid on commission to rate the things. So, you know, it's just like it's all just a massive bailout of garbage debt at the taxpayer's expense or with the public money that nobody knows is going on because nobody knows about these incentives and how these things get rated.
5: Yeah, so since Hearst now controls Fitch Ratings, um, whatever is happening, whatever ends up happening with some of this so-called investment grade debt—the stuff that's rated AAA—through um, this fast-moving um, financial crisis that we're, you know, about to go into—I um, mean, that's on that's on the Hearst family. Ultimately, the bucks should stop with them. Like, if we had lived in a world with accountability. So one of, I mean, one of these, however you, whatever you feel about rating corporate debt and like how important is that for making investment decisions? Um, it is a fact that those, those ratings actually, those are used as benchmarks to look at like the risky, the relative riskiness of a whole bunch of other different types of debt on the market. Hmm. And, um, just like in 2008, um, you can have collateralized debt obligations that are full of crap, but then the when you they think like, well, if a few of them are bad, that's okay because overall it's a triple A, and like uh, something very similar uh, could be playing out with that with corporate debt right now.
0: Hmm. So right, and um, and just according to the Wall Street Journal article I was quoting from, um, according to a study by two academics. Uh, uh, of 2,488 securities rated between 2009 and 2014, Moody's, S&P, and Fitch responded to increased competition by issuing higher ratings. Uh, From the study, competition among credit rating firms has, if anything, reduced the quality of credit ratings. And this could be done by a public agency or a nonprofit, but we just have this weird idea that competition is somehow going to improve the thing instead of just driving the standards to the bottom based on the incentives.
3: Yeah, that's a terrible system.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Sean, why are you hard?
4: <laughs> it says here in 2019, they rated um, the uh, global cuddle room and uh, cough symposium triple A, <laughs> uh, <laughs> saying it, it is the perfect business, perfect startup, and it will never fail. These guys are, rated. Who
5: did they
3: say that about. <laughs>
4: Uh, he, uh, Fire uh Fest. St- <laughs> yeah
5: Firefest. Yeah, these guys rated Firefest 8 out of 10, so Wow. Yeah. They didn't actually do that.
0: Yeah, and just uh two other things I want to note real quick. Um uh the The Federal Reserve and the federal government really do support these three big lenders. You know, they have a massive subsidy from the feds. Like, uh, according to which Richard Blumenthal writing in twenty eleven, the the Federal Reserve set up the Term Asset Backed Securities Loan Facilities, and uh, they the Federal Reserve required that asset backed securities serving as loan collateral in this one billion, one trillion dollar fund be rated by two or more quote unquote major nationally recognized statistical ratings agencies. Under the Federal Reserve's definition, the only credit rating agencies deemed major are the big three. So, in English, the Federal Reserve is spending one trillion dollars at this facility and saying we can only use it on products that are, rented, that are rated by at least two of the big three. So they're getting so they're a getting a fat commission on all of 3s. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
5: so that uh, I mean that is, that creates even more demand for the rating agencies' uh, quote unquote products. Because they're just basically getting, like, a a subsidy from the government to go and, like, whatever they deem is, um, you know, triple B or better is, like, suddenly that much more valuable.
0: Right. And the big three can't fail because... They were all looking at Enron and looking at WorldCom and saying, this is AAA, this is fine stuff. And then they passed a Reform Act in Congress that didn't do anything. Then they looked at the mortgage-backed securities. They said, this is all AAA, passed a Reform Act, didn't do anything. And uh, then now today, you have all of this debt... That was supposedly AAA, but it's just junk bonds or, you know, defaulting corporate debt or defaulting commercial mall mortgages. That is just garbage. And that's just being bailed out by the public in front of everybody's faces. So they they have a totally subsidized business model. And um, last thing I want to say is there is a Jeffrey Epstein connection to Fitch. Oh, really? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, just according to... Just according to WallStreetOnParade.com, Pam Martins and Russ Martins, writing July 2019, uh, Jeffrey Epstein was, until I believe 2007, the chairman of a company called Liquid Funding Ltd. Um, Fitch looked at Liquid Funding Ltd. uh, and And quoting from Wall Street on Parade, they said that Liquid Funding Ltd. could li- issue liabilities of up to $20 billion of commercial paper. Both Moody's and Fitch gave medium-term medium notes issued by Liquid Funding a AAA r- rag- uh, rating, as well as gave it a AAA rating as a counterparty. So again, Moody's and Fitch looked at this company that uh, I think it was incorporated in Bermuda. Yeah, it was incorporated in Bermuda in 2000. Jeffrey Epstein was the chairman, uh, and they said, this thing is a AAA. It can get up to $20 billion. It's good for $20 billion in liabilities. Nobody has any idea where any of the money in it came from. And as a result of this Moody's and Fitch AAA rating on Jeffrey Epstein's company, it almost certainly got a massive bailout in the 2008 financial crisis. Nobody so because on
4: this board of directors will be strangled with an electrical cord in their <laughs> prison cell,
0: but yeah, so like uh, you know, according to Wall Street on Parade, uh, Liquid Funding had um, 6.7 billion in outstanding liabilities in 2006, and then the Federal Reserve starts dumping money, and then Moody's explains later that all outstanding debts of Liquid Funding have been taken care of. So. Like, we don't know for sure, but it probably got something like, like I mean, maybe somebody else paid it off. But it's just as likely that because it was linked to Bear Stearns, as was Jeffrey Epstein, and Bear Stearns was getting all this Fed money throughout uh, up until its collapse, it's very probable that Jeffrey Epstein got a $6 billion loan or bailout from the Federal Reserve because of Fitch Ratings Agency.
3: Mm-hmm. Damn.
0: Damn.
3: He got a AAA rating? Yes, he did. So Jeffrey Epstein—he uh, he knows the rule of three.
0: <laughs> For
3: him, that means you only fuck people who are three. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's just not funny anymore when it's four. <laughs> 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 I was thinking today about like because Woody Allen and Jeffrey Epstein hang out, Mm -hmm. hung out a lot, like what a Woody Allen Jeffrey Epstein movie would be like. (laughs) (laughs) Just like (laughs) jazzy black and white intro with, oh, I'm so neurotic. I have uh, three massages and then my analyst.
2: Woody, you're a nice guy. You're a pretty fun dude. I don't see what these problems are all about. That's my Epstein.
0: Now, when uh, President Clinton and I were in the dungeon together, he said, no, you, but I'm pretty sure he said it like, no, Jew. No, Jew.
2: So, to round out this episode on the Hearst family and their empire, we're going to finish by talking about... Two of the billionaire heirs today and some dirt that is more conspiracy than it is dirt, but hear me out, ladies and gentlemen. Firstly, we're going to talk about John Augustine Austin Hurst, or as I like to call him, Ja. Uh, This gentleman is worth $1.9 billion, and from his, like, uh what he does for a living some people say he's a film producer but the only film he's produced is the vow from 2012 with uh Channing Tatum and Rachel McAdams you guys know about this movie this is uh Rachel McAdams goes into a fucking coma and then uh, and then wakes up, and then Channing Tatum's like, babe, you're awake, I'm your husband. She's like, I don't know you. And then Channing Tatum's like, oh, my wife, she doesn't know me, and I love her. And I remember when I saw the trailer for this in 2002, or 2012, I said out loud, uh, Channing Tatum, that's just what it's like to be unattractive, <laughs> uh, to love someone and have them not love you back. Uh, in uh, John Augustine Hurst's like, uh, IMDB bibliography, he's listed as... Mystery, Miscellaneous, and Crew for uh, Betty Boop's Hollywood Mystery, 1989, Beat Bailey's, 1989, Popeye and Son, 1987. So it seems like he was like, ah, dad or mom or uncle or aunt, I want to work in a movie. And they went like, fuck it, go be a fucking stagehead in this bullshit. But there's not much other information about John Augustine Hurst. Actually, he, he's also got Chilton in his fucking name. These fucking names are so stupid. This guy's name is John <laughs> Augustine Chilton Austin in a process Hearst. <laughs> Fucking idiots. But um, this man, uh, he began as a board of directors uh, at the Hearst Corporation in 1990, and he's also a vice president of special projects for Hearst Entertainment and Syndication, the group responsible for ESPN, Lifetime, A&E, and History. So similar to a lot of his uh, other siblings and rest of his family all of the hearsts seem to suck at life and then fall back on just working for the family company like even william r. Mm. r hurst from day one gets kicked out of harvard for being a dipshit and his dad's like all right we're rich what do you want to do and literally <laughs> that has not stopped for over a hundred years um, in this profile off of paper, peoplepill.com, it says that uh, Hearst is the founder and chairman and CEO of Chestnut Holding LLC, a private equity and agriculture development company. He partnered with architect Philip Stark. I don't know. He's done some dumb shit, basically. He's also known for doing philanthropy, and there's really not much other information about this individual. Now, he is not the main benefactor of the Hearst uh, wealth. That. And gentlemen, is William R. Hurst the third? Because you got to give the money to the third, not this jaw kid. Um, and William R. Hurst the third, his network is two point three billion dollars. And according to this profile on William Randolph Hurst the, the third uh, from Vanity Fair that we've we've mentioned a few times, he kind of doesn't like being a rich kid he doesn't mind but he's really more obsessed with math and doing chess he doesn't really give a fuck i mean from this profile it has him being uh, kind Uh, of a a miscreant
0: if you're listening if you can delete if you can defeat andy at chess we will delete this episode
4: (laughs) (laughs) uh one thing one also, another note from the um from the book is that during patty hearse uh uh during her kidnapping uh William Randolph Hearst III was seen by the family as the cool Hearst who could understand the counterculture movement (laughs) and was regularly consulted by the family in negotiations (laughs) with the Symbianese Liberation Army.
0: They they just go into like one of the 27 rooms in their mansion that reeks of marijuana. (laughs) We have to get in the mind of the kidnappers.
2: Going back for a moment, when it comes to William Randolph Hearst III, one thing I did find out about him is he went to the Canterbury School, uh, one of Connecticut's elite boarding schools. Hey, Sean, how about you stop by real quick? Uh, in an article which was about their centennial because they turned 100, they talked about the most notable alumni from the past 10 decades, and uh, on this list, including William Randolph Hearst III, the venture capitalist, the trustee of Hearst Trust, class of 1967, you also have Kofer Black, the vice chairman of Blackwater USA, class of 1968. Uh, Thomas Riley, the U.S. ambassador to Morocco, class of 1968 as well. And it also and lastly mentions, uh, honorable mention, Paris Hilton. Though Hilton <laughs> never graduated from the Canterbury School, she was part of the school's women's ice hockey team for a per- portion of her time. Um From another article, it talks about how Paris Hilton was essentially exactly how she was in high school and that she was mostly adult.
0: She was mostly seen in night vision.
3: <laughs> hey, look, you can joke with that video that's <laughs> that 's my citizen uh
2: from this news Times article on on Paris Hilton and Canterbury. The, uh, the, (laughs) the school's director of finance and development said, she cut a wide swath then as she does now. (laughs) You might say she was like a skyrocket that burst across Canterbury Hill. I mean, I don't know, you know, let's be honest here. This school sounds like a fucking playground for rich kids and they'll eventually get jobs doing fucking anything they want. So the school doesn't really give a fuck what they do. Um from a san francisco uh film interview with william randolph Hart hearst iii he talks about how he loves citizen kane and like apparently people that meet him are like oh you should hate it because you're a hearst and he's like no, no, no that shit's great and he mentions at one point that when he was a kid because the interviewer asks uh did your family ever talk about it and he mentions marion davis as well as citizen kane were never mentioned in his family once a family member mentioned the name MD and he thought there was a doctor in the family. Um but <clears throat> he does mention that uh at one point, this is quoting from that San Francisco interview, one bizarre instance when he was in the car with his parents as they arrived at a gate and Hearst's father, William Randolph Hearst II, showed his ID to the guard and the guard said, Oh, you're Bill Hurst. I love that movie about you. And his dad was <laughs> like pissed. He's like, No, it's not actually about me. Get the hell out of here. And uh, so he picked up that discomfort as a kid. And he also says, like, the, the Xanadu from Citizen Kane was all wrong. Uh, he, from his recollection, uh, Hearst Castle was light with white stones, a party place. And it's like, if you've seen any uh, footage of Hearst Castle, it's like the most megalomaniac, I want to be European, but I'm not in Europe fucking jizz dream of an orgy that is a building.
4: First of all, uh, that castle was in color. (laughs)
2: that is true that his recollection was in color Um, we haven't
3: after Ted Turner got the right
2: (laughs) (laughs) we haven't uh, discussed this that much but uh, uh, William Randolph Hearst had several properties and yachts and this was his like magnum opus of property Uh, incidentally he did not get all of his father's inheritance until his mom died in 1919 and with that money he started building this house he was like oh mom's dead I can fucking build my house now um, everything in the house is like a piece of art that he I mean you know he bought but like the motherfucker is robbing people like he talks about the like center co- um, uh, what the fuck it's like above a fireplace the mantle in like one of the biggest living room being from a guy that committed suicide I think it was uh, something Barney A very uh, rich uh, New York uh, guy, and he committed suicide, and then Hearst was like, I'm buying his fucking mantle and shipping it to California.
4: He bought it from some uh, nice German art dealers who were friends (laughs) of uh, one of his former writers.
2: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) When it comes to uh, this property of Hearst Castle, they had about 120,000 acres And they gave 40,000—it might have been 50,000 acres of it to the Californian (laughs) government— and created like a wildlife foundation type of situation and the california government now pays the hearst family for that land and the hearst castle and the additional eighty thousand acres that the hearst family owns are now part of like protected uh wildlife domain and shit so in between san francisco and los angeles if you see like a large patch of area that doesn't seem developed that much it's because the hearst own all that fucking shit
0: but going back Wait, California still pays them for it?
2: Yeah, I believe that well so it's a state park now cuz the castle itself uh, is a museum. And so to operate, you know, whatever money they're making through that, I believe it go uh it's it split between the I don't know, don't call me on this, uh, listeners and other hosts, but uh, this, they were paid a one-time thing in early 2000s for about 25 million. I don't know if they keep making money off of it from now, but At one point, California went, you know how you have all that land? Uh, Here's some money, and we won't make it so anyone can ever tear it down. Incidentally, one of... And
4: and 20 episodes are going to be like, can you remember what Yogi fucking said about the (laughs) financial (laughs) agreement between California State
2: and Hearst Properties? Um, God,
0: that was even more fucked up than when Sean went to Connecticut (laughs) in the middle of a pandemic. Incidentally- (laughs) Misinforming our listeners is such an atrocious sin. One of the properties that William
2: Randolph Hearst had was in Mexico, and it was a similar mansion to- the castle. It wasn't the same, but it was also a mansion. But at one point, the Mexican government was like, "You don't fucking own this shit." And I just love how boss that is. That the Mexican <laughs> government was like, uh, "He's not there right now. Looks like that's our fucking mansion." <laughs> so, with Re- William Randolph Hearst the third, now uh, he went to Harvard. He didn't like being rich. Uh, his roommate, desc- 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 yeah, his roommate describes that. <laughs> you know, they like his. When he lived with uh, Hearst III, there was like a used mattress on the floor, math books lying around, a chess set, and an alarm clock from the ceiling, swing from the chandelier. A part of this is because I, I, I couldn't find much information on this, but at one point in this uh, Vanity Fair uh, archive, it mentions that Hearst III had a VIP pass tour to Vietnam. And so, I don't know what Hearst saw as a, a college student, but I guess that with his family's connections, he had a fucking front-line visual to what was going on in Vietnam, and that kind of radicalized him to be like, fuck everything, I think. Um, because it's, you see fucking straight murder like that, and your family's like making money from it, you know, a person's got to have a conscience somewhere. And I don't know where fucking Hearst third's conscience really is, but... He graduates from Harvard in 1972 with an A.B. degree in mathematics. um, And he spent a few years as an employee at the Hearst Corporation. He would become an editor and publisher of the SF Examiner, which was in their family. Oh, Also, from that Vanity Fair article, it talks about at one point he leaves the Hearst Corporation and he's like, I'm going to fucking be my own man. They're like, okay. And Rolling Stone decides to pay him. The Jan winner at Rolling Stone goes, okay, we're going to pay you to write for us and we want you to create a magazine called outside which is like an outdoors magazine which in the late 70s would seem like a new concept and you know hearst the third had like uh he was a, a he rode a motorcycle he was an airplane pilot he was a horseman so like none of the other writers had experience with outdoor shit so they were like this guy fucking knows what he's kind of doing uh to quote the article it says uh none of us had any experience really says terry mcdonald who came on as a senior editor we had walked around in the woods stoned once or twice and also uh another individual part of this was jack ford son of the former president was made assistant to the publisher of outside so this magazine was literally rich kids that didn't have anything better to do and Later on, Hearst III would argue against cuts in personals, pages, colors, and how often the magazine would come out, and Wenner was in Cuba, eh, on vacation at one point, and he came back, yeah, he was on vacation in Cuba, and he came back, and (laughs) fucking Hearst had made all these changes, making it so that the magazine only comes out once every other month, and he was like, what the fuck, so he fired him, and then William Randolph Hearst would then go back to his family's company. Sorry,
3: you're right that it's like such a rich kid magazine, because like, Rich kids are the only people who would grow up like, fascinated by, like, wow, what's outside like? Right. What's an <laughs> exotic concept outside? It's
5: like the subreddit. <laughs> or outside.
2: So he would become the president of the William Randolph Hearst Foundation in early 2003. I mean, basically falling up, failing upwards, if you ask me.
4: Outside magazine is also kind of like if you're rich enough, it's just a catalog of everything you can
2: shoot. <laughs> I mean, Eli's right like, though. Only fucking deer, bear, hikers. <laughs> rich kids are the only ones that have the fucking capital to be like, oh, how do you properly operate a horse outside? Well, you got to do all this shit because none of us fucking know that shit because <laughs> yeah. we've never been rich enough to become equestrians in our life.
3: Yeah, no one's. I'm not trying to fucking walk on a glacier with those spiky ass <laughs> boots.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, He has one son, William Dallas Hurst, and three daughters, Adelaide, Caroline, and Eliza. Now, we're going to finally talk about Lydia Hurst. Now, I want the listeners to know here, I fucking listened to a podcast with Lydia Hurst and her now husband, Chris Hardwick. And uh, the podcast was called uh, In Love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan. And listen, you fucking think this podcast sucks? Oh, man. Listening to Hardwick and Lydia talk about their fucking relationship for an hour, Jesus Christ, I want to take a month off of this show because that was fucking hard.
3: Yeah, she's like, oh, he's so romantic. He even lets me out of my hotel room.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Lydia is a freak. Her mom is uh, Patty Hearst, like we we talked about, and this is the last thing that I want to cover. And if you uh, check out from flaunt.com, uh, Lydia's... <laughs> Apartment in New York previous to marrying Chris Hardwick, she at one she had her Barbies on the wall, and in this it says like these are my Barbies. the up the one in the upper left corner is the doll I got when I was four four for Christmas. That was the moment when I decided I wanted to grow up and be Barbie. I mean, literally the terrible effects of Barbie uh, in physical form when it comes to Lydia Hershaw. Uh, she's really into taxidermy. She's got, like, rats that are dead doing fucking Ouija in her house. And she's a good-looking woman, but I think Chris Hardwick hoodwinked her because their relationship – all right, so I had to do a lot of fucking creep stalker digging on this, but but it's moderately worth it, okay? Um, Chris Hardwick, his dad died in November of 2013, and he meets Lydia Hurst on the same day. Chris Hardwick and Lydia Hearst at this time are in different relationships and so it's just a casual meeting at this time, right? It takes them about 18 months before they seriously begin dating. They talk about this a whole bunch on the show. She kept, I mean, honestly, being a bitch and like fucking rejecting his calls and being like, I don't want to go on this date with you and ignoring a letter where he's like, hey, if you don't want to date, that's fine. I just want to know that's all good. I'm letting you off the hook and she never responds to this email.
4: Honestly, good instincts uh, (laughs) that she should have listened to.
2: So, Chris describes a story, so uh, they
0: like... Top three ways to reject Chris Hardwick for a date.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They like date long distance because she gets a job where she's living somewhere else, and so they are the long distance for like a handful of months, about 18 months roughly before they start actually dating, right? So according to In Love with Michael Rosenbaum and and Chris Sullivan, Hardwick describes a story where they both instantly bought wall sconces from... He bought it from a vintage store in L.A., and she bought it from a castle in the U.K., according to PeevlerRealEstate.com. Now, they are now across one another in the living room. Okay, so he describes, like, oh, I bought this random sconce. I'm going to do my best Chris Hartwick. Yeah, I was in the store in uh, L.A., and it was a vintage store, and I bought these sconces. And she buys them from a castle in the you U.K. got to rail
0: at least three more lines of Adderall <laughs> before you do it,
2: Yogi. So... I was like, bullshit. No way they just happened to randomly buy the same creepy Griffin wall sconces. And so I looked through all of her Instagram photos. <laughs> and I think that Chris Hardwick used the same nerd tendencies I did. And he looked through all of her Instagram photos. And she po- posted a photo of the sconces before they got together in 2014, October 24th. And for our listeners, I'm going to show our fucking other hosts this stupid photo. All right, bam, right there, right? I think Chris Hardwick... Fucking saw them sconces and then went to a, a prop producer at Walking Dead and was like, hey, can one of you make one of these? And I'm like, yeah, sure, we could make these easy. And then hoodwinked Lydia to believing that Hardwick was really her destined to be faith. Because Chris Hardwick hears that he could be marrying a Hearst and he's got this fucking nerdist empire dick. And he's like, I could be a part of the American empire that is media. You know what I mean? I'm My kids are never going to have to work a day in their fucking life because I'm marrying a Hearst. And well, yeah, it's he just, just got like real an, turned on.
3: He got real turned on, just saying, like, you know, I, I hear you, I hear you abuse your employees too.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> it must have been real funny when she, she did the bit where after he nuts, she goes, points. <laughs> <laughs> And lastly,
2: I just want to mention if you do listen to this podcast, uh, uh, In Love with, uh, just look up Lydia Hurst's podcast. She, she, she only did one. Uh, the last 15 minutes of it are her railing up pro prenup (laughs) it's just her being like i mean if you're in love with someone and you want to stay with them forget forever you should get a prenup because you never want to be with anyone anyways and it's like oh really really lydia you want a prenup just just off the fact that if you in love it doesn't even matter word lydia is that really what you think (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that's hard. if you're
4: going to marry Chris fucking Hardwick. <laughs> yeah,
3: he must yeah Chris heard. Hardwick, yeah, that's the right move.
2: <laughs> Dude, but, like, I spent a lot of time looking at their Instagrams and social media and stuff, and this these fucking people bought a ple- scene era Ursus Bleus, a 30,000-year-old bear from Romania that they decided to put in their fucking living room. This is another photo with that damn sconce and their fucking... Dude, these people are creeps, and you know what they're going to have? They call their house Hurstwick, which I'm pretty sure that uh, that was her idea. But what I'm trying to say is that these people are going to have kids that are going to inherit the millions and billions from the Hurst Empire, and those kids are going to be fucking psychopaths because their parents love horror and taxidermy, and they're going to think reality is a fucking fantasy, and you can do shit like murder people anytime you want because who gives a fuck? My dad's nerdist, and my mom is Lydia Hurst. (laughs) who self proclaimed says she is resting bitch voice, which, Lydia, you just a bitch.
4: Yogi, I, I appreciate all the research you're doing, but I, I'm i worried about the self-harm tendencies that you have inflicted. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling Going you... Going through Chris Hardwick and Lydia Hearst's fucking...
2: My job <laughs> was to look at uh, fucking Hearst third and uh, Ja, and I found everything on them within about... Twenty minutes, and I went. All right, I guess I'll look at everything Chris Hardwick and Lydia Shaw have done in my in the last five years. And honestly, I mean, honestly, good play by Chris Hardwick. I think that the winner of the Hearst media empire is Hardwick because he figured out a way to beat being To'd, beat alcoholism, and fucking the best looking Hearst, if you ask me.
4: And uh, after the uh, Chris Hardwick uh, infamous uh, Chile or. Er, Co- chloe medium post came out um patricia hurst posted on her twitter in defense of chris hardwick mm-hmm. uh, a quote from fatal attraction in the, the perfect like stupid person inspirational quote um image form and it says beware the person who stabs you and then tells the world they're the one who's bleeding And a bunch of people just replied with,
0: thanks, Tanya.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking face.
0: You remember when every idiot comedian would uh, hashtag midnight uh, because they thought it would make them famous? (laughs) And then he turned out to be a sex pest.
2: (laughs) All I can say is if the Hearst Media conglomerate posts anything, I probably wouldn't believe it. Because they know one thing very well, how to spin media and... If you haven't learned by now, the people that control what you read, and the people that control what news exists often are only looking out for themselves. And in the case of the Hearsts, you know, like Eli mentioned at the beginning of this nine-hour marathon that was this podcast, like you don't even know about these rich people. The, Eli worked for a Hearst company, didn't even know none of this shit, and honestly, he's traumatized <laughs> now because of it.
0: Yeah, Eli had no idea he was putting money in Chris Hardwick's pocket every time he clocked into work.
3: Oh, God, I didn't think about it like that. I'm following Give, give, give it to Randy Hurst. That's yeah. fine. Oh, yeah, Hardwick? <laughs> Jesus
2: Christ. Uh, we want to give a special thanks to Eli for joining us on this Hurst family uh, extravaganza, as I'm going to call it. Uh, Eli. Yeah, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, guys. Eli,
2: you thank got you. anything you want to plug?
3: Uh, check out my podcast The Roast Ghost uh, we just roast a celebrity it's fun uh, then uh, Twitter and Instagram are both at E-Y Eli Sayers E-L-I-S-A-I-R-S
6: uh, yeah I think
3: that's about all I got awesome
2: please check him out he is very very funny and a fantastic podcast host himself
3: thank you
0: uh, I do also want to give a shout out to the Hearst Media Union. Um, Hearst actually earlier this year, their magazine employees unionized. Uh, this is across like 24 different magazines: uh, Esquire, Cosmo. Again, owned by the Hearst, their uh, their editors and writers unionized under Writers Guild of America. They accused Hearst of illegally surveilling and spying on them during this process. But uh, in February, the uh, the company finally sat down with the union. So, you know, they're still having union problems today uh, and they're still cashing those checks.
4: And uh, I also want to give one last shout out to the uh, Seminities Liberation Army. (laughs) A lot of leftist groups are all talk. Uh, These are people who act.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's like, look, we were roasting them, but they got a bunch of money donated to feeding the poor and hungry, which is probably Uh, the most leftist direct action has accomplished in the last 50 years. Listen, direct action gets the goods. <laughs> hey, they
3: were—they actually successfully recruited
0: a woman. <laughs>
2: <laughs> a rich woman, too.
0: And look, yeah, and last thing I want to say, and again, this has been the theme of the episode, but the story of the Hearsts has been that because this guy in the 1820s had slaves, then this guy got to kill some miners, then this guy got to start a war, and now you can't watch sports on ESPN without putting a check in their descendants pocket and that's, that's right. really the entire story of America right there you know you can't read Cosmo and get 37 tips to to drive your man wild without putting checks in the pockets of the people who owned slaves back in the 1820s
2: and with that this one Stickers, I'm Yogi Paywall I'm Steve Jeffers
0: I'm Andy Palmer I'm P. McCarthy right. thank Andy, you Eli. thank you, Eli Yes, thank, yes, you, for thank you for sticking, with, sticking us. with us this has been a <laughs> yes.
3: No, that was fun, dude. Thank you. All right. Fun All right. Turn, take turn
1: off your take care, everyone. Bye. I'm so lucky. She's so grounded and even keeled. In the beginning, I was sort of like, what's your angle? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just yeah, like, no, she's, she's in like, Connecticut. Like, she's just I don't, very I don't she's just very. Can I, can
7: I make one more statement before we go to Please. the next caller? This has nothing to do with you. I mean, it could, but it doesn't. It's, it's, it's about prenups. I mean, it might, but it is. It's like, about prenups. Could be about you. Could be about anybody. My thought is, here's why prenups can work. Here, here's why I think they're right. How did we get here? <laughs> I just thought about this because I thought, you know, Chris is very successful. Lydia is successful. You're successful. Tyler, you're going to get su- successful.
1: I could feel it. You're already successful in my book. That, you know, I got to put that in the hair comment box, too. <laughs>
7: No, he's already. He's look. He's working. maybe not. You're working with me. How successful could you be?
1: But listen, don't worry, Tyler. You'll no, get a better job. No, dude, you love this job, don't you? <laughs> someday, Tyler, things are really going to work out. Tyler, first. do you enjoy it? I'm. I do like this job a lot. I'm very broke, and someday I'll
7: have a. I'll be successful. Sure, let's say that. <laughs> I
4: like this job a lot. It's yeah, fun. We have
7: fun together. <laughs> Hell yeah! All right, good. So, I want to say this. Prenups. Here's my reasoning. If I say I want to get a prenup, let's say Tyler and I are getting married. Tyler, I love you. I okay, love you. I, knew that. I love you like nothing, like nothing else. Oh, he didn't say it back. I love you, and I want to be with you forever. The reason we should get a prenup is because you might fall out of love with me.
6: I, I'm just going to stop this. Letty, I didn't say I love you. That's fine. I, no, for, as Tyler's attorney, observer. I'm going to have to. <laughs> I think if you're in a relationship with someone and you want to get married, you shouldn't have to explain yourself as to why you need a prenup.
7: You just do it. You say, hey, prenup. Because then they're like, wait a minute, what? There I wasn't think any it com- should be
6: standard. And if you're entering into any sort of marriage, relationship, whatever, it's because you want to be with that person, not because you want to gain from that person.
1: And I And I also, like, money is a tool. It's not a defining quality. And when we were dating and we decided to get married... We just and the conversation was like a minute long. It was like, you know, maybe we should just do this so that the money stuff never gets in the way. I'll handle my stuff, you handle your stuff, there's no overlap, we don't have to worry about it. We're not like penny chasers where it's like, you know, sometimes like, oh I paid for this. You know, it's not like, well, I paid for this, you pay we just don't think that way. And so we just Mm. did it. If I were in a relationship with someone and then it didn't work out I wouldn't want any of their stuff like no, me I wouldn't either. I wouldn't want yeah. to benefit Yeah, but that. it's no. different
7: though if you marry someone that probably let's say let's say hypothetically I marry someone who has either a lot more money than I do or has no
1: money well I also let me let me preface it by saying this too we also kind of had this understanding of like listen if it doesn't work out we're not going to try to destroy each other and neither one of us would ever leave the other person in a situation that was not good. You know what I mean? Right. But it was just like, but that's not, probably not going to happen so we're not ever going to have to worry about it but let's just do it and not ever have to think about it again and it was fine because I do think money does make people weird Yeah. and and, and if they have the same bank account, why'd you spend this? What's this? What's this? What, you know, oh, we need more. It just adds a weird pressure Yeah. And so we set up like a house account, yeah. and and we both just right. put half in for mortgage or whatever, and don't think about it, you know. And if there was ever a time sure. where one of us, need, then it'd be like, yeah, fine, take. It. I don't care, you know. She'll she'll even say to me like. Can I borrow some toothpaste? I'm like, it's your <laughs> toothpaste right. as well, you know, right. and it's cute, and so she still, it, know, she's still says this stuff, and I'm like, you have every, a, a, I mean, the understanding is that everything that's mine is yours, right. like I'm not, we're not territorial yeah, about right, our stuff. Right. It's only just, it's just being smart in a worst case right. scenario that is right. hopefully no one, very unlikely to happen.
6: Right. You would hope no one gets married thinking they're going to break up. That's not oh, really for. the reason yeah. why you enter into something. But there has something. to be a reality. But I think it's important, too, that you do a prenup and all of that when you are in love. Because who knows what's going to happen down the road. I mean, Chris knows I'd stab him in the dick, stab him in the dick stab him in the dick if something went wrong if <laughs> cheated on me. But... <laughs> oh,
7: Chris's face on that.
6: Wait a minute.
2: Dick stabber.
7: And by the way, but, she would be, she'd be monotone. She but
2: that's be... the thing that makes me laugh it's hard.
1: So just because we... <laughs> this always kills me when she does it because she... it's It's so just calm and matter-of-fact. Yeah. And so a lot of times, you know, just I'm a comedian so I will... I will. I walk into this territory because we watch a lot of like true crime shows, and there's usually always a mistress involved. And so I'll just go. Just a joke. I'm like, oh, so I'm not. Am I not? Oh no, I remember what it was. Her great grandfather very historically had a mistress, and Mm -hmm. it was something that everyone knew about. It was very. And I said, so your family was okay with that, and she said, well. He and my great-grandmother just had an understanding. It was a different time. And so, of course, my comedy brain, I barely even, I don't get Uh halfway through the joke. I'm like, oh, so in keeping with the family tradition, I even remember we were driving, I remember what road we were driving up. So in keeping with the family tradition, I should, and very calmly she cuts me off and she says, oh, if you ever cheat on me, I'll cut off your penis and plug your butthole with it. Oh, if you ever cheat on me, I'll cut off your penis and plug your butthole with it. Oh, if you ever cheat on me, I'll cut off your penis and plug your butthole with it. And I laughed so hard. I laughed so hard. Oh my. Because it's just so like As a matter of fact. This is what I'll do. And that's how you
2: know if you've fallen out of love.
7: (laughs) You know, I don't even I don't even think we need to go to another question after that. I think that's a great place to end. I think that's
1: a great place to end. Thanks
7: for coming to talk to us. That was it. Yeah. That makes me laugh.
1: (laughs) It makes me laugh so hard.